Well, I think there's just been a fundamental transformation, restructuring of the marketing function and the expectations and requirements to be a marketer. Well, uh, Donovan, it is absolutely wonderful to be here with you today on LeadTel TV. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Well, I want to jump right in. I, uh, I, I have so many questions for you and, and so little time, so I want to take advantage of the time. Um, I, you know, just to kick it off, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the CMO Council and your role there. Well, it's uh, been more than two decades ago when we started the council. It was sort of an ad hoc uh, kickoff, shall I say. Um, back in early 2000, we hosted a program in Silicon Valley at the Ritz-Carlton Hoffman Bay called the Brand Recovery Summit. And I brought together a group of uh, CMOs from disparate tech and telco companies. And obviously we were talking about the dot bomb and all of the unmet expectations by both uh, customers and uh, uh, investors. And uh, what turned out to be uh, a very interesting day long with people from all parts of the world, including folks who do brand valuations and things like that. Um, we had a dinner the, the day before and we had a group, group of folks from big name companies like Sun in those days, of course, and, and Cisco and HP and so on and so forth. And the CMO of HP said, gee, this is the first time I've actually met my peers here in Silicon Valley. Isn't that amazing? So I said, I'll, I'll put my hand up and we'll create a, a council and we'll start off with tech and telco and see where it goes. And you folks can be my first advisory board. And that's how we started. So. The genesis was just ad, you know, ad hoc and uh, informal, and it's multiplied now to well, six, well over 16,000 members and in 10,000 companies across 120 countries. And we have seven regional advisory boards, and we have a very rich, engaged audience and multiple channels of dialogue uh, and engagement. And uh, we publish and produce a vast amount of thought leadership content what makes it unique, of course, is that it's all experiential knowledge that we're capturing uh, over the years. It's the most valuable type of insight you can get because it's from practitioners. So it's all practitioner-based insight. It's all peer-based interaction and both qualitative and quantitative. So the real joy about what we've got is this awesome archive and repository um, that should be uh, of great interest to not just practitioners and leaders, but also aspiring marketers, students, and faculty members, uh, you know, at at business schools. Wow, it, the the vastness of of how many people that you have is astounding. Um, it sounds like uh, there are more marketers in the world than I I ever realized. Um, although I knew that there was a lot of us, but it it, it definitely. Uh, makes me think that maybe I'm just a small fish in a big pond, uh, given the, the... Well, we, the, we have diversified our audience. And of course, that bear in mind that that doesn't include people who consume our content. So there's 60,000 or so more people in our databases, people who regularly have, have subscribed to our free newsletter or have downloaded various reports or participated in, in different events or surveys or webinars or whatever the case may be. So what makes it unique is that we've multiplied 
the ecosystem. And uh, there's many more CMO titles today than there were 20 years ago, trust me. We were sort of, uh, we were really ahead of the curve, far ahead of. And there's been many people that have tried to replicate what we have done here with this, what we call a channel of inside access and influence to people who control about a trillion dollars worth of spend. So our members collectively, in aggregate, annually spend that much money. So uh, there are lots of folks who like to reach and access that audience. And of course, there are also um, many folks who want to collaborate in the office of the CMO, and that today is the critical and essential com component that uh, needs to be uh, front, front and center, which is defining the title and the territory and ownership of the CMO, the CMO, and its and the CMO's relationship to other members of the suite, and of course the multiplying chief titles, digital data, relationships, CX, revenue, growth and it keeps multiplying. Uh, even here, there's a new chief AI officer. Um, he's not even real, I don't think, but there is a chief AI officer that you can interact with, virtually no doubt. Yeah, you never know who you're interacting with these days. Um, you know, and I think there's even a chief prompt officer for AI as well, some come up and coming. Um, who knows what's gonna happen? Um, as a as a former agency owner, um, actually not far from where your your headquarters is or, or was uh, there on Meridian Avenue in San Jose, I um, I 22 years ago when we first started, there was this delight to be in marketing. There was this security almost. I don't know if there was ever total security, but there was this understanding of. Uh, confidence around being a marketer and knowing the value that you brought. Um, speaking for myself, of course, in in just more of a uh, uh, an organic feel. But in a recent report that the CMO Council brought out, it, I found it really interesting because it found that over seventy percent of marketers don't feel very confident in their own current sales and marketing model. Um, I'd love to know more about that and, and what your thoughts are there. Well, I think there's just been a fundamental transformation, restructuring of the marketing function and the expectations and requirements to be a marketer and the pedigree you need to be effective as a CMO, not as a brand you know, leader or brand compliance officer, which tends to be how most people view chief marketers. Today, you know, you have to have cross-disciplinary skill sets, you have to be able to be conversant with a range of technical and cybersecurity you know, issues and risks. You have to obviously look at functional alignment and integration. And it's not just functions within the organization, it's also your channel. And that's changed. And your e-commerce operations, and that's changed. And the way you interact with customers has changed. And there's 10,000 marketing automation tools and solutions out there. And you've got to build a marketing stack that's actually relevant to your business, not just random acts of cherry picking different applications by different people in different parts of the world for different reasons. And have that integrated and have all these applications that produce more data which is the biggest problem, is how you unify and extract 
and actually segment and source the right data. It's not that there's no, there's no lack of internally produced data, transactional data and other stuff. There's historical data, but how do you find real-time actionable data and, and use that for better decision support and marketing in the moment, which is the challenge today is marketing in the moment given the hyper, you know, the hyperactivity of the customer and the journey um, and, and, and the, the, the customer willingness to share and make available information so that you can understand and suggest and understand what their buying intentions might be, whether it's on a B2B side or a B2C side. And there's a lot of requirements today when it comes to how you actually do precision marketing, forensic analysis of who you want to go to. It's not just about having great creativity from an agency. The hard work, the real, real CMO today is making a business case for where and how he should or she should spend money. And it has much more to do with having the right um, intelligence and the right uh, backup and substantiation so you can go into a board meeting and only 5% of publicly traded companies actually have marketing professionals on their board. It's shameful considering that the CMO of today should be in a migratory position to the CEO of tomorrow. So those are things that we have to really focus on and address. Well, you know, you get bonus points for every time that you mention the word data. I just want to make sure that you knew that, that there's, there's a collective amount of points that you earn across this interview um, and across marketers because it's just the thing that will uh, create more of what we want. Uh, which is uh, which is the uh, the right data to use in the right situation. Um, as somebody who believes in um, and wrote a book about uh, uh, this and in, in um, uh, what what I called there's no B two B or B two C it's H to H human to human. Um, one of the things that I know is really important is the collaboration between marketing and sales, which is where that baton pass or that handoff happens to uh, being able to have that human-to-human experience. Um, and it's still difficult today. I'd love to hear your thoughts around this, um, especially being, you know, what are the main obstacles that prevent sales and marketing working in a more collaborative manner? Well, I think it's just the traditional adversarial role and lack of understanding and, and the shift, the massive shift today in what marketers are doing. Marketers have, have been very good at waiting tables. We have to change that, right? We, we have to be much more, you know, developing the recipes and, the, and being, preparing the foods and doing a much better job of, of directing operations from a strategic level. This is, CMOs today have to start, where is the money? Where is the opportunity? Where is the relationship potential? Um, before you go spending money, because we're seen as a cost center, marketing is seen for by sales as we just throw money at things. Let's have a golf tournament. Let's have a, a, a seminar. Let's throw more money at something. It's not strategic. It's not, it's not based on any sort of assumptions or analytics around where the revenue and growth potential is. And that's what CMOs, CFOs want to hear. That's what uh, growth offices and revenue offices want to hear. And in many cases, the revenue office and the growth office uh, 
is taking a leadership role in both sales and marketing integration and the channel as well. But going back to your question is the sales, typically, you know, today marketing has to drive identification, qualification, activation, reactivation, recovery. Less than 30% of companies today even have a formal strategy for recovering lost or dormant accounts. It surprises me that marketers are so busy spending 90% of their money on acquisition of customers or acquisition of names, of contacts, of leads, uh, prospects, but very little is spent on how do you land and expand in, in key accounts? How do you build relationships outside of one you know, line of business or one product area or one division? I mean, we have massive big holding companies today and there are houses of brands, you know, and you have to be very adept and adroit at figuring how to cross-sell and upsell within those organizations, how to create and cultivate relationships. That's a marketing, that's what marketing needs to lead. The sales intelligence, the pre-sales uh, research and, and planning and targeting, um, you know, it, it still astounds me today. I get companies coming to us, I say, well, we have a list of prospects. Well, how did you come up with this list? Well, the sales guys put it together. Well, what, 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 what criteria did they use? Well, now that it's companies that's in their territory, near them. Um, no, there was no qualification. There was no real diligence done, due diligence done to determine why you would approach that company or even why you would be relevant to that company or even resonate with buyers. So the other thing that sales folks have, they face the same problem. I mean, it's not, today it's not a single buyer. You know, no, no, no purchasing decisions, you know. You know, it's, it's we've, even, we've done a lot of studies in content marketing, right? And, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with uh, the content selection, I mean, it's, it's vendor selection, you know, and, and, and content, you know, you can track routes to revenue by looking at what content is being consumed by different people across the organization. But even the people who source content for, for trying to determine who they want, what they want, and where they want, you know, they still have to share that with 10, 20, 30, 40, even 100 colleagues. So, you know, a lot of lead generation is done based on downloading of reports and studies, but it doesn't necessarily address the fact that one piece of content can be shared with many different individuals in an organization from a buyer. So complexity today for both marketing and sales, sales folks have a traditional view of, of marketing as we want, uh, it's like the guys at the back that have the ammo, let's Let's, let's soften the beaches, let's, sh let's fire a whole bunch of marketing ammo over the heads of salespeople so that when we go in, it's going to be easy. We can just take orders. We don't, have to, we don't actually have to do any consultative advisory or sailing. We don't actually have to sell. We just, we're very good at taking orders as long as those leads are, are, are leads that are actually actionable. Um, but we don't like stuff that takes a long time. So 80% of leads in most cases, are never actioned on. And uh, so sales and marketing have become disparate and fraction. It's been fragmented. 
the, 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 the sales intelligence platforms, sales effectiveness platforms, sales automation platforms, CRM platforms, uh, social media selling platforms. There's a whole bunch of new tools and technologies. And who's, who's actually managing and specifying and deciding what's going to be the right type of investment for us? Then how do we get adoption and use? How do we actually implement it effectively? And then how do we get cultural adoption and use of this by sales who don't traditionally want to share any contact information? If they had their druthers, everything would be on their desktop at home. And uh, that, would, that protects their position in the organization. So the point I'm trying to make is we have silos, we have functional disassociation, we also have a massive challenge to, to work through intermediaries. You know, it's not, you know, the good thing about the web, of course, it's direct relationship marketing, much as what I was doing 30 years ago with Dell. You know, it, you know and that was a, a disruptive model. So you actually really understood your customer, you engaged with your customer, you actually could specify and recommend systems configurations that met their needs, those kinds of things. All of these things require marketing to adapt and modify to power the sales process and to help sales folks close deals. Give them templates, give them tools, give them, you know, content on demand, stuff that can be customized and adapted and modified for different environments and places and spaces. That's, this big, this is big complex stuff, eh? And it's not going to be done with one functional lead. It's got to be done as a team collaboration. And you've got to have a, a mission and a mandate. And if the CEO owns demand generation, owns sales, you know, development, marketing operations, all of that has to come together. Execution, go to market. Um, before you launch a product, you know, everything is buttoned down and everything's designed and it's not just about spending money it's about actually doing a lot of in-depth research and analysis to determine where your points of access and entry are and how this may change you know customers change businesses get acquired operations get integrated companies you know are, are Consolidated. There's so many things that can impact and influence a customer relationship in a, in a B2B you know, account. Consumers, of course, also. I mean, we, were, we have a study right now on multicultural marketing. You know? There's more multicultural households in America today than in the traditional Anglo-Saxon model. Right? So over 50% of American households today are multicultural. And that actually impacts a lot of buying and influences, you know, how people spend and what they spend. I mean, you know, what they're consuming, whether it's Bollywood or Korean K-pop or, you know, Peruvian, you know, jackets or whatever the case may be. You know, it's, it, it, it covers the waterfront. Multiculturalism is a big shift in America and has not been explored to the degree that it could or should be. Or has to be. Well, I, I caught myself listening to K-pop the other day, and oh my God, there is something to it. So I can't put uh, put that down. 
Um, I, I, I love, uh, I love what you're talking about. I could dive into all of this, uh, man, I could, I could really talk to you all day long, but I want to pivot just a little bit into another report. Um, you guys are generating so many good, so much good stuff right now, but this other report, um, I think our listeners will also find relevant, which, uh, talks about, um, uh, the CMO council on the relationship between CMOs and CFOs. Uh, you found that 22% of the CMO CFO partnerships are very willing to collaborate, much different. Um, and, and I'd love to know and, and have you tell us more about why you think that might be. Well, again, it all goes back to if you're a smart CMO, you're going to look at who the key stakeholders are. And, and one of those key stakeholders, uh, and not one, the finance department as a whole and procurement. So I like to put finance and procurement together because you've got to you've got to clear that you've got to any any new contract, any new spend, any new deal, any new agency hire has to go through that due diligence. And in many cases, procurement and finance have now seconded specialists into the marketing organization. So bigger companies have. Uh, the opportunity to have folks who are dedicated just to looking at marketing spend or marketing contracting or hiring or staffing or whatever. And that's another problem that they face. They've got to be able to, to hire resources on demand when they're needed for whatever reason. And it could be because there's too much inventory or it could be because uh, there's competitive inroads, or it could be there's new contenders and disruptive factors coming into the marketplace. You can't plan and predict a year ahead for that. So this requires constant manipulation and adjustment and adapt. And, and, and you know, you've got to become an alert enterprise, number one, which is you've got to be really good at market sensing, what I call sense. You have to develop your sense ability to be able to figure out what things are happening and where and how you have to direct spend. The other part of this is there's a big push towards performance-based contracting, performance-based compensation, and I think a lot of the agencies know it and feel it, and it's, you know, it, you know it's they'll pay a fee for creativity, but, you know, outstanding, fantastic creativity never ultimately gets monetized because you're paid a fixed fee to do a great creative job and you end up having a spectacular successful amount of attention and interest and all that kind of stuff but it doesn't necessarily translate into into additional revenue unless you have a deal that's tied to performance and that performance has got to be hot metrics it's not soft metrics it's not awareness and recognition and clicks and it's it's really conversion so our research shows that the thing that moves the needle is the contractual transactional data points that you provide finance and and procurement because with procurement there's there are performance there there is in most cases contracts that are tied back to deliverables it's not just about I'm running a campaign, wow, and it's going to, and look at this great creative, and boy, this is lovely, and the channel's going to love it, and we're going to kick it off, and we're going to do all kinds of things to trumpet this campaign. It's, but if you had a much more surgical approach, forensic approach to figuring out, if you could show them a model that's not just spend money, but this 
type of research and analysis is not going to cost a whole lot of money. It's going to take some time and effort, but it's going to give us X amount of prospect opportunity, a much more qualified, um, available, predisposed prospect than going and spending a lot of money on mass media. I'm just using that just as a simple example, that you don't have to go that, the big route, the branding route, you know, warm and fuzzy campaign stuff when there's just hard work to be done in the trenches and marketers don't like that. It's, it's, not, it doesn't, it's not in their nature to embrace that type of uh, work. I completely understand that now, you know, the world has gone remote. Uh, so while you're targeting people in the U.S., you may not be targeting people in the U.S., uh, given how the world has has shifted. And, and the precision marketing of an intent is uh, fascinating. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I love that you brought up that there are tools and I, ways to see what intent uh, where people have the intent. In, in fact, kind of bringing it all together, Donovan, I, I, I'd love to know what you think of generative AI and how it has a role in, in today's marketing relationship, whether it's an intent or bringing together sales and finance as the two counterparts is what we've talked about. Um, but there's so much untapped to what perhaps could be that intent uh, behind what generative AI brings now to today or maybe in the near future. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it, it, it has applicability across all facets and phases and stages of marketing. The, 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 the scale of marketing today is massive. And, and to be able to scale to large, larger volumes of disparate data from multiple sources and to pull out, you know, indicators or pull out pertinent findings that can help you gain competitive advantages. One, automation of interaction. Um, that's another area, having more predictive experience, having a more consistent experience, having a more personal experience, having a more intimate experience. So the more you can you can know about somebody. It doesn't mean an escalation. You can't just rely on chatbots. You've got to have escalation into human interaction. So the, this is a tool. It's a technology that people are so... I mean, every single post today has got something to do with generative AI and all the amazing ways I can use it in, in my life, in my work, in my job search, and this and that. The CML Council is launching something. We're launching our digital twin program where we're actually going to have CMOs able to actually clone themselves and create content that automates interaction with them for a variety of different and important reasons. But going back to, to your point about, you know, it goes back to the ability to harvest insight and to affect a better experience um, for the customer and to increase the quality and and the content quality, the uh, invention and ingenuity of programs, the ability to do things that you have not been able to do before visually, or you know in in in, in advertising and imagery and uh, the ability to tie stuff together. Um, 
and it's also hopefully going to make marketers more efficient. It might obviously eliminate certain layers and levels and functional areas, but you know, it's it's we're in the content business and sourcing and assembling and integrating and producing content and doing it faster, quicker, and more efficiently is a major requirement today. Also translation, cross-cultural adaptation. Um, now, I don't know that general AI is going to be successful at all those different areas, but those are areas right now where, you know, if you build a global campaign strategy, create a strategy, how do you adapt it for all the different markets? All the, I mean, in, in Africa or, or Asia or where, Latin America, you know, there's lots of languages, lots of, of nuances, there's lots of things that you have to be aware of. So, you know, if you can use it and apply that technology to, to solve marketing operational and executional problems and customer service, customer engagement, and, and scale your ability to target and segment and be more personal and precise and more individualized in how you market, that's where it's going to play, that's where the value is going to come from. But, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's still going to take a lot of time and effort to integrate and adapt and modify for, for, and accommodate. And there's risks, of course. Uh, and there's other concerns that, that are legitimate concerns. And, but again, compute power and the capacity to do it, not good for the environment, but uh, you know, we're going to have to scale the computing capacity of the world to be able to do what everybody thinks they want to do with AI. Maybe that's, we send people into the ocean to be aquanauts and up into the universe, and that way we may, may not need quite so much compute power. Well, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate your time here today and for sharing all your uh, knowledge. I know we only scratched the surface, but it was in incredible to hear from you and, and to talk through some of these, some of these uh, really important things that are going on in marketing. So thank you so, so much.